Hey, yep, my name's Tina. Uh, sorry about your life tonight. You have to listen to me. Um, choose God. Satan is an anarchist. I'm purposefully being inflammatory to all you anarchists. <laughs> Come at me. We can fight about it after the service. Just kidding. I don't want to actually fight about it. Um, so, yeah. We're going to talk about some things tonight. And I guess... Um, my encouragement is uh, if things come up as we go through the scriptures or as I talk about stuff or if I give you a weird look and it reminds me you of like a weird look your mom gave you and that was like damaging. Um, I, had, uh, ah, I did it again. I'm really bad at my timer. <laughs> Brian's laughing at me. Um, yeah, I guess I would encourage you to kind of press into that um, because those things really matter and are important. Uh, yet we have really great hope in those things, and hopefully that's a result of um, kind of what we talk about tonight. So let's do this. Also, if this is terrible, I have a brain injury, and I wrote half of this on muscle relaxers. So, like, that's for real. <laughs> um, cool. I'm going to pray because, yeah, that needs to happen. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you pursue us and that you're good and that we can count on those things always. Uh, I pray that we look up and and we look for your pursuit of us tonight as we uh, look at who you are in your word and and think about who you are and wrestle with uh, our own sin and the sins of others and how that affects us really deeply, um, causes us pain. I pray that you speak into those places through your word and that you reveal who you are using your spirit to uh, the people here tonight. Um, Thank you that you are good. We can count on that uh, in all things. And and I hope that that is evidenced by tonight uh, as we worship you, as we think about you, as we look at your word. Um, I hope that the result is that we we love you a little bit more. We know a little bit more about who you are and we love you uh, better in our lives. Amen. So I want to start out with the idea of what did you choose in your life? Um, And of course, I'm going to start off with a thrice song because that's what I do. So uh, here it goes. It says, all you great men of power, you who boast of your feats, politicians and entrepreneurs, can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep? Keep your heart beating steady and sure. As you lie in your bed, does the thought haunt your head? that you're really rather small. If there's one thing I know in this life is we are beggars all. All you champions of science and rulers of men, can you summon the sun from its sleep? Does the earth seek your counsel on how fast to spin? Can you shut up the gates of the deep? Don't you know that all things hang as if by a string over darkness poised to fall? If there's one thing I know in this life, it's that we're beggars all. All you big shots that swagger and stride with conceit, did you devise how your frame would be formed? If you'd be raised in a palace or left out on the streets, or choose the place or the hour you'd be born, tell me, what can you claim? Not a thing, not your name. Tell me if you can recall just one thing that's not a gift in this life. Can you hear what's been said? Can you see now that everything is grace after all? If there's one thing I know in this life, it's that we are beggars all. Um, yeah, so that song is by Thrice, and, and it is actually pretty inspired by um, a reflection in, in Job, where it's this conversation between Job and God, and um, Job's kind of complaining about all the things that are going down, because, yeah, not super fun, and God's kind of like, hey, I'm God, <laughs> okay? Like, are you in control of this? Nope, I am. And so it's kind of um, that conversation, and so that's what that song is inspired about. But it's really interesting to think about. Like the song points out, did you choose your name? No, somebody chose that for you, um, most likely. Uh, None of us really got to choose whether we were a human being or a dog or like whatever, if you believe in Hinduism, Um, what sex you are, what era or time you were born in. None of us had a choice. It all sort of just happened. Um, Thankfully, I'm really thankful that we don't really remember a lot of that journey because I'm claustrophobic and that's weird. Um, but yeah, nobody chose who birthed them either. There's no like committee for that who like, you know, you get to argue over who your best parents on earth will be. That's just decided for you. 
so whether you have good metabolism, bad knees, oily skin, low blood pressure, blonde hair, uh, if you have a history of cancer, diabetes, mental illness, intelligence, or athleticism, all those things were just simply given to you. You didn't earn them. You didn't choose them. It was just chose. Uh, your economic status as you were growing up heavily influences um, kind of your perspective on the world. Kids don't really get to weigh in on that. Whether you grew up poor or, or very rich with lots of privilege, it just, just is. Uh, a lot of people don't get a choice on whether your parents stayed together or they shipped you back and forth on weekends, uh, whether they had a functioning marriage or it was really dysfunctional. Did you get a choice at what music or media you were exposed to as a kid, uh, in utero or as a child? Um, science has proven that that has a huge effect on how you then go about engaging in those things in your life as far as preference. Um, yeah, so a lot of the things you directly inherit uh, were either chosen by or heavily influenced by people that you had no control over, really. Um, all not really your choice. And, but for some of the things that we wouldn't have inherited if we had a choice, have all of us really gotten to a place where we can look at that difficult thing and call it grace? Can you thank God for it even? Because if you say you believe in the God of the Bible, you also believe that he is sovereign over all, right? That all things pass through his hands. He either chooses or permits all things. So whether we perceive them as good or evil... God knows what's happening. He's in charge. He's over all of that. Uh, so in a lot of ways, that's really hard to reconcile. That's hard to look at all of our lives and say, hey, lots of things were chosen for us. And God, like, either, like, directly chose that or permitted that to happen. So tonight, uh, we're going to go back to traveling through the book of Ephesians. And the passage that we'll be looking at is the famous, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Um, and I think that this can be really provoking and kind of sticky passage for a lot of us because none of our parents are or were perfect. Uh, and so I want to kind of take a look at what cards are simply dealt to us, how parents impact us, uh, what choice we have in that, and then how uh, Jesus can really help play any hand that you're dealt with great purpose and even joy. Um, and, and as we go along, I really want to examine kind of uh, the motivations for how we live our lives on this side of heaven. And maybe by the end of it, we'll start to uh, see how there's grace in, in every aspect of our lives. Um, so I want to read to you an excerpt from a science book because I'm a nerd. Uh, and this book um, is called The Mind-Gut Connection. It's um, basically about how uh, gastrointestinal disorders are uh, high, like have pretty much an inseparable correlation with neurological disorders such as anxiety, depression, or bipolar. Um, those things are like married um, internally, and so they can actually look at like the guts, your like your bacteria in your guts, and predict if you have emotional issues like an overactive overactive nervous system, which causes anxiety issues and other things. Uh, and much of the composition of those bacteria uh, are directly inherited from our parents, especially our mother, at birth. Uh, so then as the science follows, if um, you look at kind of your younger years, your environment and your experiences literally start forming the pathways in your brain. Um, that's when scientifically you start to become you. So as far as modern psychology and science, the argument of which matters more, nature versus nurture, the answer is... Yes? Uh, so here's what the book says. It says, A breakthrough in our understanding began when psychiatry researchers in the 1980s realized that stress exerts the same biological effects on animals like rats, mice, and monkeys as it does on humans. A major focus of these animal studies was on the role of the interactions between the mother and her offspring, as such interactions were easier to model in the laboratory. Me. Uh, compared to such uniquely human behaviors at, as um, verbal abuse or emotional abuse or marital discord. So, for example, rodents, like people, have different temperaments. Some are timid, others are social, some are intrepid explorers, others stick close to home. And some rat mothers are even genetically identical animals, are better at, than others at nurturing their offspring. A nurturing rat mom pampers her pups. She hovers over them with her back conspicuously arched and, and legs splayed outward, allowing them to switch nipples as she spends a lot of time licking and grooming them. A more negligent rat mom lazes on her side 
as her, or on top of her pups as they struggle to nurse. This keeps them from switching nipples or wiggling, both of which are good for rat infants in their development. So this is kind of referring to some of their findings and monitoring the lives of rats uh, as they were either well-nurtured by their mother or not. Um, so it says the pampered pups grew into adults that were more laid back, less reactive to stress, and less prone to addictive behaviors, such as overdoing it when given a free supply of alcohol or cocaine. I would like to see that. Uh, there were also more social with other rats, more daring and more willing to explore new places. Pups of stress, negligent moms grew into loners, prone to the rat equivalents of anxiety, depression, and addictive behaviors. Studies of monkey moms and their infants turned up similar results. Stressed monkey infants whose moms are inconsistent, erratic, and sometimes dismissive grow up timid, submissive, fearful, less gregarious, talkative, and more prone to depression than their better nurtured peers. These early findings were in the beginning of a paradigm shift in our understanding how experiences in childhood can affect our health in the dialogue between the gut and the brain. So this isn't terribly surprising, is it, to us? Uh, for a really long time, modern psychology has known that um, who your parents are in those early years heavily, heavily impact how you perceive and go about life, um, whether it be in your um, physical body, like how it works, uh, also your emotions and in, in your mind. All those things are very interacted and they're all heavily influenced by how you grew up. Um, and so he goes on to say, what are the implications of these stories or these studies? And so many adult brain disorders, including anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, autism, and most likely IBS are now considered neurodevelopmental disorders, meaning that the basic brain changes start very early in life, many of them in utero. This means if we want to have a really uh, a major and long-lasting impact on the development and trajectory of these devastating diseases, interventions will have to start very early in life. Once an adult patient comes to the clinic with a full-blown syndrome, most treatments will be largely symptomatic and transient, while it is more challenging to get long-lasting therapeutic success. So who you are um, is really a lot determined by who your parents were. Um, how you were parented and all that really affects how you perceive uh, experience and experience your life. Uh, God set it up that way. Uh, for some of that, for some of us, that's good news. For some of us, that's kind of depressing. Um, and again, none of us chose who those people are, those people who have a large influence on how our lives play out. Uh, so, so when you start to answer the question, who are you? We kind of rather intuitively know that it more often than not starts from where we came from, our parents. Um, you know, and when in a, in a faith context, when people ask you kind of what's your story, we all pretty naturally start with our upbringing because we just know that that uh, has a lot to do with who we become. We know that those early years in childhood have a massive effect on that and, and how we process the world. And like I said, for some of us, that's kind of depressing. And for others of us, that's kind of either hopeful or a non-issue. But there's, there's usually an overarching theme. And I, I don't think most of us would say that, you know, it was all bad or it was all good. It's not really binary in actuality. There's a lot of more in between. Um, but, yeah, we start out with the information that's really pertinent. Were you um, brought up in an environment that was around faith? Or were you brought up in an environment that lacked faith? Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about like, oh, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home or, oh, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and those things, like, then from where you go with that, we can kind of predict, like, some of those struggles. And, and though all of our stories are definitely individual, um, there's these themes, right? Like whether you grew up with a legacy of faith in your family or whether you grew up with a legacy of uh, non-belief. And so if you kind of look at the contrast, uh, a lot of people grew up with parents who, who loved Jesus and loved their children well. They were nurturing and present and, um, you know, weren't perfect, but were gracious and reflective of God's character. Uh, so many people do experience a childhood that you need not recover from. Uh, parents who wanted you or planned for you or at the least were ready to embrace your coming as a kind of unplanned blessing. Um, but some of us, uh, I'm more in this category, we have kind of turbulent upbringings, deep scars, um, a, a family legacy of unbelief um, that was mostly marked by an existence of hopelessness. And some of it's not dark simply because of a lack of faith influence. Some of it's dark because it was thick with things like a, abuse, a, addiction, and, and things that haunt you. 
and again, none of us really chose a lot of those factors of the story of our childhood. We didn't have much to say in a lot of that. And so, yeah, as a illustrator, there's a lot about our lives, um, especially when we start out, that we don't determine. But also, all of us, I think, pretty intuitively know that there's a lot that we get to choose. Uh, the faculty of choice is inherent to humanity, and, and it matters. Um, you can't really love or, or be loved without choice. Um, but because our upbringings have a long-lasting, deep impact, it's something that most people still sort through or process throughout their whole lives. For some reason or another, um, things get provoked, and, and then they have to look back to that time period because it is so influential. Um, and, and the other thing is, is a lot of the ways that we are influenced by our parents really form the ways that we start to think about God. Uh, so a lot of us, if your your parents were mean, you probably subconsciously at least think that God is mean. Uh, if your parents weren't present, you probably have a hard time feeling and engaging as if God is present. If you were parented in a way that was performance and success oriented, you probably try to perform for God more than anything. So what cards did you get in life? Do you honestly feel lucky when you think about how you were brought up? Or does it potentially cause a struggle to be grateful in conjunction with the knowledge of God's sovereignty? And that kind of speaks to the crux of where we're going tonight. Um, before we get to the passage in Ephesians, though, I'm going to kind of start a little backwards in Scripture, and we'll work our way up to there. Uh, because as Christians, and if you believe in, in the Bible, we believe that the inheritance we have and the legacy of humanity starts uh, back with the story of Adam and Eve. So we're going to take a look at that. I mostly just have nice pictures up there for a lot of this. Oh, Dave, I broke it. Oh, yeah, no, oh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> actually, can you go back to the one before that? Um, yeah, so I want to take a look at uh, Genesis 3. Um, so kind of that story of where Adam and Eve are in the garden and they make the wrong choice um, and all that. And, and we're eventually going to get up to where it says, children, obey your parents. Because I think the, obviously the context of the immediate book matters, so the context in Ephesians, but also the uh, scheme of what God has revealed to us in the history of humankind and in the redemptive history in humankind also bears weight on uh, where we're looking at in Ephesians. So I kind of want to think about what kind of parents were Adam and Eve? Uh, now, technically, at this point, they weren't parents, um, but the part of the instruction that says be fruitful and multiply had definitely been given, which I had to, I have to kind of assume they at least kind of knew what that meant, implied. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're in the garden. They're perfectly with God. They uh, have each other and food and jobs to do. Uh, literally, everything is perfect and complete. Um, I think it's interesting to think literally, like, where they started out is what all of our deepest levels yearn for. That's, that's what we want to get back to. That's where our hearts yearn. That's where they started out. Uh, the one boundary that God put on them was, hey, don't eat from that tree. Uh, so when Satan in, in the serpent form, you know, eggs them on, their eyes narrowed in on something that they don't have, the knowledge of good and evil, the result of eating that fruit. So the, the vision and temptation um, or in sin is really like singular and narrow and in the moment uh, temporary. And it's really often that humans believe that the pre present moment's needs or wants have more weight than the ones to come. And isn't that so much of our problems every day? So the narrow view, the temporal view from the ground, if you will, kind of took over in this story. And, and on what's recorded here, we kind of have no reason to think, at least, that there was a, a consideration of the weight of their decision, right? So they're not thinking about how this is going to affect every child after them or, every, you know, all of humanity that comes after them. Uh, all we can just see is how it, their thoughts are going to be, uh, are towards, like, how it's going to directly benefit them. So do you think they had us in mind when they were, like, you know, like looking at the tree and we're like, should, should we, should we? I know God said not to, but should we, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine that they did, but in a, in a general sense, it was this moment that determined the cards that all of humanity have been dealt since. So what about God in this story? Uh, what kind of parent is God in the exact same story? Cause he does identify himself as a father after all. So, you know, after they ate the fruit, uh, God confronted them, asking them what they had done, and then, though he already knew, 
uh, he then tells them kind of the ramifications of their decision, the curse. And right after he communicates that, um, we see this recounted in Scripture, uh, where it says Genesis 3:21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So concerning this, um, that text that I just read, I found kind of an article that uh, talks about what God is commanding and what he's concerned about in that passage. It says, according to God's per- curses, excuse me, uh, Adam and Eve's knowledge of good and evil would le- lead to great frustration, pain, and heartache. They would experience happiness and receive good gifts from God along the way, to be sure. But their days would be punctuated by conflict. In addition, their disobedience, knowing evil meant that they and their offspring would be capable of continuing to commit great evil. Although part of the curse, God's oracle that Adam would eventually die was also an act of mercy. Adam's hard life and ability to rebel against God and do harm to others would be limited unless he had eaten from the tree of life. That would lead to an unending, hopeless existence separated from God. Apparently, the fruit of the tree of life would provide physical immortality to Adam and Eve. For their own good and the good of all, God would not allow this. To be spiritually dead while remaining physically alive forever could only bring endless suffering. It's interesting to know that depending on how one translated the original Hebrew, God doesn't appear to even finish his sentence before removing Adam and Eve from the garden in the next verse. So God knew that they would disobey. And I think it's fascinating to think about how uh, Adam's ability to die was actually a mercy. Because otherwise, humanity would have been stuck in this forever existence of not being able to get back to God. So God took immediate action, right? And, and also, ultimately, uh, Jesus sacrificing himself was always plan A. So God's got the immediate in mind, and he's also got the, for- the future in mind. So God kicks them out. Um, basically to give humanity kind of this fighting chance of you guys can choose back to me. So God plays the, the long game better than anyone, and that's something that us as humans don't do very well. But yeah, these are, these are our parents. Um, this is the legacy that all of us have inherited. Uh, we tend towards being narrow-minded in the moment and selfish. This is all really uplifting, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So in scripture, if we keep following kind of the story of God trying to regain and maintain relationship with mankind. So next there's the whole like mess with Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, you know, that would be kind of the highlight reel. So God chooses to focus on one group of people, the people of Israel, to woo back to himself for their sake, but also to show the world who he is. So where we're going to pick up on the story is in Exodus 19. And here is where the Israelites have just been uh, extravagantly saved from slavery in Egypt and delivered through the Red Sea. Uh, Their leader, Moses, pursues a conversation with God. If we pause for a second, you're probably wondering, Tina, why do we care about this? We're in Ephesians. That's a great question. Um, So the verses in Ephesians that we're going to look at tonight actually directly reference uh, the giving of the law. So um, the verses that we're going to look at are basically re- uh, reiterating the fifth commandment that is given. And so we're going to look at kind of the context in which the commandments are given, and then we'll we'll get to Ephesians. So uh, what's happening here is God is basically telling people how they can inherit what uh, what he's promised to them, so what they want. So, you know, they, they want a, a nation of their own that is treasured by God, a land that is theirs, many offspring or generations that are loved by him. Uh, we're not, we're not going to go over it because it would take a lot of time, but I know a lot of you are or have studied uh, this idea of covenant, um, so God's covenant with his people, and it's kind of like this, if you do this, I'll do this, binding contract. And so as hopefully we'll see, the the covenant is really founded on grace. 
Uh, it is, it's God moving towards us, like Dave uh, talked about in Ephesians, and uh, really to meet our greatest need. It's how we can gain God back. So yeah, Exodus 19, it says in verse 3, uh, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So God is like, yo, did you guys see what I just did for you? Like, I'm super powerful. Uh, And not only am I for you, but I love you. And so the things that um, I promise, you know, God is saying, the things I promise to you come about by loving me, doing life the way I intended and designed. And you can love me by living the way that I am about to tell you. Uh, So God's, yeah, his desire for his people is to become a nation that loves him and shows the world who he is because they live a different way. They exemplify the character of God. Uh, So he gives his people guidelines to do so. And that is, in, uh, that is the context in which the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. Um, ten rules so you get the jewels. Uh, so, yeah, ex- Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god for the lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And he goes on to describe that. And here's the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so a few things that are kind of important to consider as far as the audience here. Um, God is giving this law to a people group that he has already saved, expressed grace and affection towards. And he gave it to them so that they could live in a way as to inherit the things that he promised them, right? Like the land, nationhood, offspring, all that. Uh, and, and he also gave the law to the Jewish people so they are under the old covenant. Uh, so we are now under the new covenant, which means that we can receive grace for our shortcomings of living up to this law. But the wisdom given here by God as a way to live still stands as something that we must seek to obey today. Um, so concerning the law, I am quoting a scholar that I found on uh, the fifth commandment. He says, this is a law that even has a great promise attached to it. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, as an, a, a quick aside, um, later when the Ten Commandments are reiterated to the Israelites after wandering in the desert for 40 years, uh, we get the Fifth Commandment quoted uh, as just read um, in that quote uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is actually slightly different than when it is first given in Exodus. Um, the quoting of it in Deuteronomy is actually technically the cross-reference of the verse that we'll be looking at in Ephesians tonight. Um, yeah, so just the, the difference is you, um, in Deuteronomy, it says that you may live in, long in the land. In Exodus, it says that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. Uh, so it's just a slight difference. Um, but he, the scholar goes on to say, this commandment bridges the first four, which reflect our relationship to God. And the final five reflect our relationship to others. So most scholars agree that God placed it here because of the unique role parents play. A role in which they represent God to their children. To honor and obey parents is to honor and obey God. And those who give such honor and obedience to their parents open themselves to special blessings. 
So here we kind of see again the split of inheritance, if you will. Um, so the second commandment, the one that was about idols, right? It says, uh, you know, don't build idols and God will punish the children of those who do to the third and fourth generations. Um, so kind of like illustrating this legacy of not following God. And then we get to the fifth commandment that illustrates what the legacy is of following God. Um, parents who have worshiped God and if their children honor their parents in likeness to the way they honor God, also generally they will inherit good things from God and have less strife in their life. So God gave this law to Israel so that they be- could become a nation that inherited his promises. Um, but I just want to point out, he didn't really give them license to do whatever they wanted. He gave them guidelines and a structure we hate that word here, uh, to set up their society in order to prosper. There's a specific way we're designed to live. See, now the, the human heart is so tainted by sin that we need guidelines and boundaries in order to actually love, to love God and love one another. Uh, we can't just figure that out on our own. Our nature doesn't speak to that now. Our nature speaks to selfishness. So in some ways, I know that uh, that idea that we there's kind of this structure, there's guidelines for life, I think, makes a lot of the rebels in us, like, kind of bristle. And this is probably the part of the sermon that will get me fired, so it's nice knowing you guys. Um, but I think around here, we accept rebellion kind of as the norm and as good. And in some ways, like, when we rebel purposefully against the world, that's good. But I'd, I'd argue that the root of rebellion and where it stems from is the garden. Um, and I think to rebel as a rule is not something that God has called good. Instead, he gives us direction. He says, come towards me. If that means go away from the world, then go away from the world. If those two things coincide, great. So if you're choosing to rebel, people of scum, let's make sure that it's because we're rebelling against something that is going away from God. And that's kind of a little bit about what uh, Jesse talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about rebellion. Because otherwise, if you rebel just as a rule, um, people see you standing alone in a decision and they, they assume it's because you like to rebel, not because you made a conscious decision to obey. And so I think, unfortunately, when we rebel just to rebel, it, it, it loses the meaningfulness of our rebellion. Um, because I think as Christians, our rebellion should be purposeful. Uh, and... Yeah, so I guess I'm not really talking about, like, I don't care what clothes you wear or what bands you listen to as, as far as expressing yourself. But um, I guess some challenging questions. Are, do you rebel at church simply just to do so, to feel set apart, like you're some free thinker, more intelligent, and your opinions are more lofty than other people? Is that actually helping you become like Christ? And is that helping other people become more like Christ? So, again, I just want to challenge that. Um, God has set up a system specifically and a structure, kind of a way to live. And I'm not saying that like all institutions reflect that and carry that out perfectly. That's definitely not true. However, um, there is a specific way God calls us to live. And and that, again, starts um, with the Ten Commandments and goes all the way uh, up through the New Covenant. So uh, when it says kids, like when you obey your parents... Let that be a rebellion against your friends who rebel against their parents just to rebel. That's a thing. I did that. Um, rebel by righteousness. Um, but the, like I said, the rule of rebelling just to rebel, like, makes it lose its meaning. It's kind of like crying wolf. <laughs> like, if you just, like, play that card all the time, I think people don't associate that with righteousness. Um, so that's just something that, I mean, I've been personally thinking about and considering with my own life. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to get up to the uh, chapter in Ephesians now. I forgot. Yeah, great. Um, so some of the themes and, and other things that have taken place in Ephesians, I just want to remind you guys because it's been a few weeks since we've been there. Um, so, yeah, Paul uh, starts off with talking about, you know, one Lord, one baptism, uh, one God and Father of all. Another big theme is salvation through grace alone. That's something that he comes back to. Uh, so it's not something that we've worked for, but it's just a gift of God. He also goes uh, through a lot of things on identity. Um, so he calls us heirs. He calls us citizens. He calls us the Lord's holy people. Um, he says that we're adopted to sonship, we're chosen, and we're in Christ. Uh, and another thing that he really kind of hammers home is the unity among believers. So among people who are of Jewish descent, uh, that are now Christ followers, and then of Gentile descent, and now are now Christ followers. So, uh, yeah, he says the two become 
one reconciled through Christ. Uh, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And some other things, you know, put on your new self, put on your, or put off your old self. And, and another theme actually through Ephesians is, hey, there's some ways to, to live that is fitting to your new identity. And there's also some ways that are no longer fitting to your new identity. So, you know, live wisely, make the most of every opportunity, uh, be filled with the spirit and not booze. And so, and then um, kind of one of the last uh, things that he goes through, he really is trying to communicate what the purpose of the church is. Um, and that's really what he's trying to get the Ephesians to understand. Uh, so in chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, he says, His intent was that now, uh, as in Christ, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So, right, this is kind of like uh, similar to what we talked about with the Israelites and the Ten Commandments. God is giving them help to live in a way that sets them apart, that reveals his character to the world. So again, um, that's the same thing that we were getting in the New Testament. Testament, We're getting wisdom on how to live in a way that is revealing of God's character to the world. Um, yeah, and so chapters 2 through 6 really are, are Paul kind of espousing wisdom so that the church may fulfill God's purpose for it. So he argues a, a theological standpoint on how to live um, so that the church fulfills its role through, through grace, through unity, through understanding their identity. And then finally, we get to chapter 5 and 6, which are kind of the practical approaches, um, kind of like the second half of the Ten Commandments, where it's like, hey, don't murder. Yeah. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of to that part of Ephesians, where it's like, okay, like if this isn't obvious already, I'm just going to make this obvious for you as far as just interpersonally how a life changed by God should look. Um, and yeah, so the, the passage right before this, if you guys remember, was where uh, Fran and, and Dave taught about a few weeks ago, uh, where it says, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and also wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. Um, so that's the context in which we get to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Uh, so it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, and just to note, uh, verse 4 there where it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Um, I'm not actually really going to go over that much tonight. Uh, that's going to be kind of what Craig camps on next week, who's doing the same passage. So just know that that's there, but we're not going to talk about it too much tonight. Uh, so just a few things to point out. Um, so you see how it has the quotes on honor your father and mother. It's quoting, um, like I said, that direct reference to Deuteronomy there, um, where the Ten Commandments are reiterated to the Israelites. And then, um, yeah, so the audience here is both Jew and Gentile, whereas in the Ten Commandments, it's going to be singularly Jews, right? Uh, here, it's kind of instead of referring to an inheritance of land specifically, uh, it's kind of infer inferring like a, a spiritual inheritance um, so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, I don't think that actually means like, hey, if you like honor your parents, you'll live like 300 years. Um, I actually, that would actually suck. I don't, I'm glad that we don't live that long anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's basically kind of implying like, hey, when you live this way, uh, there will be less strife in your life. And it's a, it's a way to honor the Lord and reveal him to others. Uh, generally. And again, the commandment with a promise is uh, referring back to kind of those covenants that God had with his people. So he said, hey, live in this way and you will inherit this land. Um, so those are some of the promises. And so the, the newer promise um, that the, the church is under is the, the new covenant under receiving grace through Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, I think that Fran brought this up like maybe a few weeks ago, but uh, at the time that this was written to the Ephesians, a lot of people were using their new faith as license to just rebel um, against societal structure, against family structure. Uh, so whether it be women taking um, over power of their husbands, which Fran talked about, or, or whatever. Uh, so Christianity at the time was being perceived as a threat to the family structure, which then threatens all of society, right? So here, Paul is actually uh, just giving practical advice for Christians to operate still in the family structure while honoring their new faith. So he, um, he gives theological motivations and not just like practical, like, hey, don't rock the boat too much. Um, but he's giving like theological motivations to submit your life this way. 
Uh, and then um, I think the other thing to point out, and Fran pointed this out in the chapter about uh, wives and husbands, is that uh, really Paul is kind of raising the value of um, you know, women and children at the time compared to non-believing societies. Uh, so the fact that Paul addresses children directly at all is weird. Um, and we didn't see that in the Ten Commandments, but we see that here. And so he's saying, like, hey, children are important enough that I'm going to address them directly. They're, they're going to, um, you know, have their office raised as far as their value. Uh, so, yeah, and then the, the other thing I kind of want to point out is uh, the, the phrase, in the Lord. So it says, obey your parents in the Lord. And then we get to the honor your father and mother. Um, and so, again, kind of if you think about that separation of, like, are, are you having a legacy that's going towards God or away from God? I think that really plays out here. So, yeah, obey your parents in the Lord. Is the way that you're being parented towards the way of God? Um, or, or are they leading you away from God? Like, what if your parents are jerk holes? Uh, that is a common story. And so I do, I do want to note this, and it's kind of been repeated as we've gone through five and six, the chapters. Uh, God would never require us to submit to an authority that is abusive or is asking us to sin. Uh, so the operative part of that sentence is in the Lord, towards the way of, towards the way of God, away from sin. Um, and, and one of the kind of cross-references for that is uh, if you look in Acts 5.29, when the apostles kept getting arrested for, like, speaking the name of Jesus— uh, they got brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're like, hey, stop doing that. And they're like, we can't. We have to obey God before we obey people. And again, that's true here. If obeying your parents means disobeying God, choose God. Okay? And if obeying your parents doesn't mean disobeying God, then you better obey your parents. Um, is basically kind of what the in the Lord thing uh, means. And so how do you honor your parents if they're not believers? Um, therefore, you might have to disobey them. Uh, that's kind of a tricky thing. That's something that I have had to figure out because my parents are not Christians. Um, but kind of I was thinking through that. And again, kind of with the purposeful rebellion, um, I think one of the ways that people feel honored, uh, which in this context, honor uh, really means to like prize highly. Um, let your rebellion still be uh, respectful um, so don't just flippantly be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. Um, because, again, uh, if you communicate why, why you won't do something, that is an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with your parents. And, and I think that that actually honors them best um, because you are prizing highly their peopleness, the fact that they have a soul that doesn't know God. Uh, and so I think, yeah, if you're going to rebel against your parents, like communicate in how you do that or with words why you aren't doing what they're asking you to do. Um, because, yeah, actually honoring your parents is, is feeling burdened for them to know God. Um, and yeah, and so, and the other thing I kind of want to talk about is if, uh, if you have a good inheritance, so let's say that your parents brought you up in the ways of the Lord and, and that's all great. Uh, since this wasn't my experience growing up, I kind of asked a handful of people what their experience was like, uh, growing up with parents who loved Jesus and, and how that played out in their own spiritual walk. Uh, so most of them, to some degree, expressed that the tendency of our rebellious hearts as humans was then aimed uh, at rebelling against God or faith for some time uh, as a, just a direct result of being around it. Like, I never really rebelled against Christianity openly because it wasn't something that was pressed on me in that time period. But so people who uh, were in the legacy of faith, they expressed that, yeah, I had that time where I was like, you know, to Christianity. Um, I hope no British people are listening. They don't know what I just did. <laughs> um, but yeah, also, most also expressed having kind of grown past that rebellious stage that they, they were then able to receive kind of the blessings of that legacy of faith. So whether that was, you know, oh, I got all this like education as a kid in scripture and, you know, I didn't like murder anybody because I at least knew that was wrong. So I didn't rebel that far. Uh, so, you know, after they got past that rebellious stage, they were then able to draw back from like, oh yeah, I know all these things because like those were passed on to me for my parents. Um, so yeah, I think growing up in faith causes kind of different rebellions and struggles than apart from it, but they're still <laughs> tending towards rebellion, right? Um, yeah, and, and I was just thinking of some other kind of examples of people 
who inherited a legacy of faith and like how to dishonor your parents. Uh, the example I was thinking of is like the prodigal sons or the prodigal son. Uh, the younger brother kind of dishonors his father in one way um, by running off and sinning and is just like, eh, whatever. Um, but I think the older brother also dishonors his father in a different way um, by kind of assuming the worst about his father and, and complaining and not being grateful, all these other things. So I think both of those are kind of examples of in a legacy of faith, how to dishonor your parents as like a don't do kind of thing. Um, but I kind of want to draw it back to, can we keep in mind that our earthly parents are temporary? Because, um, yeah, I think that a lot of us have struggles with figuring out how to do life growing into adulthood, but also honoring God. And then when you seem to go different ways, like, it's really hard. And I think for the most part, um, it takes wisdom. There's not, like, a rule book that's written down for, like, this is the best way to honor everyone. Uh, I think it it takes wisdom to apply that. Uh, So, yeah, I think keeping in mind that this relationship is temporary, um, you know, when we all get to heaven, uh, it won't matter as much. So um, if you can sacrifice in the moment to honor God highly um, and then, uh, you know, honoring their humanness, whether it's like I needed to share the gospel with them in my disobedience or like I'm going to do the gospel by putting, you know, my needs down and obeying them. Because, uh, yeah, I think that if we kind of try to get in, mind, in the mind of God, he's, he's got the long game, right? Like uh, the eternal thing. And that's the thing that sin uh, really blinds us from. And so I think that's a lot of the way that, that God has helped us out by giving us scripture is if we live in the way that scripture tells us to, it helps us play the long game. It helps us to not live in the moment and uh, be overcome with like temptations and things like that in the moment. Uh, when we do, there's grace for that too. So the, the fact of the matter is, I guess, no matter what cards you were dealt, we all have choices in that. Um, yeah, there was a lot of choices made for us, but we also got to make a lot of choices. And I think God can uh, definitely redeem both. He, he cares about both. Uh, God sets it, sets it up, I think this is interesting, that we, we get loved by, best by those who we're responsible to and who are responsible to us. Uh, If you think about kind of the most important intimate relationships we have, there's kind of like boundaries or guidelines. Uh, Our relationship with God, he gives us the law and scripture so that we can love him best because intuitively we don't know how to do that. Uh, Marriage, you make promises to one another, you're accountable to one another. So it makes sense that, that children and parents, parents are responsible for their children, but also to God. And children are held accountable by God to be good and to honor and obey their parents. So that responsibility is just reflective of, like, when we're given to one another, God kind of sets up some boundaries so we don't, like, screw it up. I mean, we do. But <laughs> he gives us some wisdom because we can't just figure that out on our own as smart as we think we are. Uh, so, the, yeah, the law helps us have the long view and not the short term, uh, which is more natural to us. And I think, um, yeah, just kind of thinking through the purposes of the law, the law has always been there to reveal Jesus. Uh, God obviously always knew that we would rebel. Uh, We'd be incapable on our own efforts or merits to get back to him ever since we got kicked out of the garden. So, you know, none of us have really perfectly loved God. If you're anything like me, you've also (laughs) fallen extremely short of loving God and other people. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's kind of crappy because when you realize it, then it's like, oh, I'm not honoring that creation of God. Um, but God, God chose our story and said it would be good. I think that's a weird thing to wrestle with uh, and, and really goes outside of our view of things um, that we're able to see. So, but yeah, I think that he, he made all of it possible that we can get back to him, uh, even through our rebellion by, by Jesus, um, and so I think, yeah, uh, this is a lot of the pictures I have in here are by a specific artist who I don't remember the name of, but it's a book I stole from Girl Jessie. Um, but it's, that's supposed to be kind of like this uh, depiction of, well, it's abstract, but in, in utero. Um, so if you can get your, your mind back to, you know, when you were formed in the womb, like Psalm 139 talks about, like, God knew everything. Um, he, he picked your parents, you know, you were in the womb of a mother he chose for you with the DNA of a father he chose for you. And he calls it good, even if we can't see it. Um, so I want to go back to the, kind of that book I read at the beginning. Um, 
uh, in his book, Dr. Emeron Meyer is relaying information that I read to you earlier uh, to this, this female patient who basically had really crappy parents and uh, had tons of depressive issues, extreme anxiety and bowel um, issues. And so she kind of responds to him, like, giving all, like getting all this information about how much that affects us to our inner being. She said, but if, if it all has been hardwired during my first years of life, and if my family history further increases the odds that I will suffer from these symptoms, does that mean that I have to live with this pain for the rest of my life? I told her the bad news that her brain gut access had been programmed for life. But the good news is that humans have a very unique part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which gives us the ability to override the function of altered brain circuits and learn new behaviors. He goes on to state, but early life programming affects us all. Our mothers instinctively and biologically programmed for us survival when we were in the womb. Later, our families did the best they could to steer us through a complex world. All this leaves us with a lasting trace on our ba basic emotional makeup and influences how we cope, how we make decisions, and possibly our personality. By understanding how this natural programming operates and learning to patch any maladaptive software so we can avoid overreactions that lo no longer service as if they ever did. So I don't know about you guys, but I, I read this book and I was like, oh, that sounds like redemption. Um, that God has literally left like wiring inside of our bodies that are capable of redemption. Um, when we experience new things, when we get new life in Christ, God literally starts to rewire the circuits in our brains. Um, so you're not stuck with the cards you were dealt, even if they're crappy. Um, because with God in the in the equation, he can actually change those things for good. He can change those things so that they have eternal meaning and that they, they matter. Um, and I think it also bears weight in saying, like, those influences and those things, like, that weigh heavy on you if you did have a rough childhood, those also really matter to God. He wants you to, to bring them to him. He wants you to bring those out. Uh, but there is a way to redemption, and he, he left that inside of us, and then he made sure of it by the cross. Um, which I think is just really cool. Uh, so yeah, he he did what we needed. Uh, so this is kind of like, I want you guys to claim your humanness. And by that I mean, yeah, there's lots of stuff that was chosen for us, but we also get to choose. Uh, so yeah, you might not get to choose the inheritance you started out with, but you do get to choose the one you end up with. The one that is available to us in Christ, um, received by grace. How you engage with authority, parents, jobs, government, etc., whether we like it or not, reflects in some ways how we view God. Choose wisely, rebel meaningfully. And then finally, let every decision, whether it is to obey an earthly authority or disobey an earthly authority in order to not disobey God, let it all point to the Savior, that we're all covered in grace, that we all do fall short. But... We have, like, a spirit inside of us that is renewing us and making us new and making us actually able to love one another with the wisdom that it gives us through Scripture and just how he makes us new um, from the inside out. Yeah, and so the, um, this verse in 1 Peter 1.8 uh, says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Uh, yeah, it wasn't with perishable things. It was with the blood of Jesus. Uh, and I think for me, that is a lot of the reason that I follow Jesus is that he can change the cards that you were dealt. Thanks guys.